the, the title of the lesson is The Chosen Few. So how many of you ever remember when you were involved in a process of choosing sides? How many of you remember? When you were a kid, all right, I think most of us do. And you know, you're going to do dodgeball or you're going to do baseball. Or you, I remember living... We lived right behind an elementary school, and so there's this huge baseball fields and you know, what is what I thought was huge then. It's really about the size of this room, I think, but baseball fields, everything else. And I can remember as though it were yesterday, and believe me, it wasn't yesterday, but I can, I can remember standing there and waiting, and, and they say, okay, I want you, I want you and the number keeps going down, I'm still standing there. Not a good feeling, is it? All right, let me just show you. Let's, let's, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit about today. So uh, help me with this video, John, and let's see what, uh, what this might tell us.
<laughs> the big guy, it, we went back and got some old pictures. The big guy was Glenn. All right. <laughs> right, right, Allison? It was Glenn. You know, it's amazing to think about, you know, choosing sides can be a dreaded process, right? Dreaded process, just like it was in that, uh, in that clip. But today, we're going to talk about the selection of another apostle. And I, I have to admit, when I first started studying this, you know, we're teaching through the book of Acts, and so I, I looked at, at verses 12 through 26, and I looked at it six ways to Sunday, and I just said, Lord, what in the world in, in this text of Scripture should we, which should we teach about in our class today? And, no, and I, was, I said, you know, maybe I'll just, just skip over this real quick and pick out something. And, and uh, so then I started studying, and I was quickly amazed at the messages that come so clear in this, come through so clearly in this text of Scripture that I think will be helpful. Uh, I, again, I was just, uh, I was amazed. A lot of it says, I, I thought a lot about God's choices and we'll get into that in just a moment, but it's an amazing study and an amazing uh, thing to think about, to think about the awesome God of the universe chose me and chose you. And I know many of you say, yeah, it is awesome that he chose you. We're really surprised about that one, but uh, you know, I'm thankfully that God was in the choosing business and not you. But... Uh, <laughs> Let's see how this works out. I, I was really just fascinated by this story again, even though I thought it might not be something that you would be interested in. The, um, let's, let's remember where we're at. So you have, if, if you want to look at the timeline from last Sunday when we started this book, if you start, you have the Passover and the crucifixion and the resurrection all in that same week. And then in Acts chapter 2, which will start next Sunday, you have Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit comes. That's when great things happen at the beginning, really the beginning of the church as we know it today. So there was the, the Passover and the crucifixion, resurrection, and then Jesus reappeared many, many times, we read in chapter 1, and he met with his disciples and instructed them many different things that we talked about, proofs of his resurrection and so on. And he did that. Does anybody remember how long that he took and he met with his disciples on and off? What period of time? How long was that after his 40 days? 40 days, right? So 40 days. How long is it from the Passover to Pentecost? 50 days. 50 days. Ergo, the word penta is the first part of Pentecost. So you have 50-day period between the Passover and, and the crucifixion and the resurrection, although we're not going to get into each little... there. You can study this, and you can find people who said this was on Nisan 14... And this was this date on a Tuesday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And maybe stretching it a little bit. But you can basically say it took 50-day period 
And now we've had a 40-day period and Jesus ascended. So if we have that between Jesus' ascension and Acts chapter 2, how many days do we have? We have 10 days. So we have a 10-day period that that's where we're at right now. And Jesus gave them very specific instructions, and they followed that in verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. The, the disciples did exactly what Jesus said, and so they crossed from the Mount of Olives, and they crossed over the Kidron Valley and walked up into, into Jerusalem itself. And they most likely went to the room where they had been hiding uh, in Jerusalem. You can read about that in Luke chapter 24 and John chapter 20 if you want to read that, but that's probably where they went back to it. You know, people will tell you, oh, it was this room, it was this room. We don't know which room it was. We, and, you, and if you go to Jerusalem today and you go in, they'll say, here is the tour to the upper room. And you can go here. This is where it happened. We don't know where it happened. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. They went from the Mount of Olives, as Jesus told them. And what did he do? Did he, what did he tell them to do when they left the Mount of Olives and go to Jerusalem? He told them to do what? Wait. What should they be waiting on? The Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit, as was prophesied. We'll talk more about it next week. We get check. Don't miss next Sunday. Next Sunday's Acts chapter 2. Next Sunday's our, our birthday. It's the birthday of the church when we all got started here. We all share in this one. Okay, so, you know, the Feast of Weeks is coming. That's Pentecost. And Jews from all over will be coming and enjoying this feast. They will be coming and celebrating the first fruits of their harvest. And it would be a, a, a great celebration. And that's what this, this time is all about. Now, it says that he went a Sabbath day walk from the city. I found that to be interesting. It, any significance in that? Why do you say it's a Sabbath day walk? Not very far. How far is it? You know, it's about a half mile, three quarters of a mile. Not very far. When you sit on the Mount of Olives, as I showed you a picture last Sunday, you can look right into Jerusalem, and it's not very far. You just walk down. Today, you'd have to walk to a cemetery and walk, uh, walk over to Jerusalem. Or you really have to walk over some highways and stuff like that. But that's not here, neither here nor there. So, you get to Jerusalem, but he says it's a Sabbath day journey. Why do you say it's a Sabbath day's journey? Yeah, yeah, they were, not only were they doing what Jesus commanded and going to wait for them in, in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit to come in Jerusalem, but they were also honoring the tradition that was the Jewish custom that you could travel this distance. It was a Sabbath day journey on the Sabbath. So, found that to be interesting. Look at verse 13. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judah, son of James. They all joined, verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't matter how much I study it or how much I look, I get them mixed up. 
Which James is this? Which John is this? Which Simon is this? So we're going to help you with that this morning, okay? So you're going to become the people in this room, all right? Now, we'll start off with Peter, and we need Peter is, uh, is someone, of course, uh, you know, the, the loud and boisterous Peter uh, who had just denied the Lord, and uh, so let's get someone to be Peter. Okay, Glenn, you be Peter, all right? Come on up. <laughs> I think of somebody big and boisterous, and I think of, come stand right up here, and you hold a sign so everybody knows who you are. You're Peter. You're going to do all the talking in a minute, all right? Not really. No, you're not. Give me James back. My James Peter? No. No, you're Peter smart aleck. Okay. I can say that with him because he beats me playing golf so bad. All right. James. James is the next one. James, this is the, we got James and John. Who are James and John known as? The sons of what? Thunder. Sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. Easy for me to say. Uh, the, the sons of thunder. All right. So let's have, let's have James. I need a James. You look like James. Come on up. Carrie James. This is Carrie James Hogan. Sorry, but you're the brother of John and you were martyred by Herod in Acts chapter 12. So. Sorry, James. My dear <laughs> and your brother, John. All right, we need your brother, John. Ron, you look like a son of thunder. You, you're a son of thunder. Okay, you're John. Now, the good thing about you, though, is that you wrote the Gospel of John and the letters that uh, were written, so that's who you are. All right, so we got James and John. Right, there you go. That we know for sure. Good pick. Life's not easy for you, though, so just uh, be ready. You know, exile's not a lot of fun. Okay, then, uh, then we've got Andrew, and um, some of these I picked out. You, you know that I do that sometimes. I didn't this one. So Andrew, Andrew was the HR guy. He's the people person guy. All right. Jim, you laugh. You're a people person guy. Jim, you're an HR guy, all right? So Andrew, who was Andrew? Andrew was who? Peter's brother, all right? So that's Peter's brother, HR guy. Why not call him HR guy? Because he's always out finding people. He's always bringing people to Jesus, you know, just like us old HR people used to do. We never brought people to Jesus when I was working at HR, but in the Bible it's HR. All right, the next one is uh, Philip. Philip is the facts and figures guy. If he was here, who would that be? Mike. Mike. <laughs> Mike's not here. All right, so... Danny, you're, you're going to be the facts and figures guy. You're going to be Philip, okay? Now, Philip, we don't know a lot about Philip, but uh, he, uh, he did a few good things. He was an apostle, so I guess he was okay. okay. All right, Thomas, we need, now, I like this, Thomas. Thomas, I call Thomas, is the show-me man. Show me your hands so I can see that he was to prove it to me. He was doubting Thomas. And someone that's close from the show-me state is Terry. So, Terry, Terry, you're Thomas. So, you're Thomas, all right? Then we have Bartholomew. Now, some people think Bartholomew was also the same name as, anybody know? Anybody know? Nathaniel. And not everybody agrees on that. So, there's nothing else said much about Bartholomew. If he was Nathaniel, he said uh, Jesus did talk about him and said there's, there's nobody in Israel without guile like this guy is, right? 
So we need a Bartholomew. Come here, Mike. You look like a Bartholomew. Boy, is that wrong? No God. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. We don't get so much. All right, you're Bartholomew. All right, then we need a tax collector. We need Matthew, who we need tax. You look like a tax collector. Come <laughs> on, oh, Don. Don's a tax collector. Matthew, tax collector, wrote the book of? Matthew. You're very good. All right. All right, Matthew. Go stand at the end of the line, Matthew. You're a good guy, but you're, uh, okay. Then we have, we have James, the son of Alphaeus, or he was also known as James the Less, Lesser. James the Lesser. You look less today. Uh, so Eddie, you come on. You're James the Lesser today. We had, went to I, I, there's too many things I can say, <laughs> but I get troubled all of them. Yeah, so I, give me all right, thing. all right. James the lesser. I'm lesser. Le he's lesser of a sinner than I am. How's that? Pretty good, huh? And then we need Simon the Zealot. <laughs> you look like a zealot. All right, Keith, you're a zealot. You're Simon the Zealot. Now you know what's interesting about the zealots? The zealots were a terrorist group. Yeah, that's right. About one step above. <laughs> they, were, they were trying to free Judea from the Romans. So, and of course, he got converted and, and, and obviously left the zealots and became an apostle. So, then we have uh, Judas, the son of James. All right. Let's see. This can be anybody. <coughs> you look like Judas, the son of James. This is not the bad Judas. This is a good Judas. So, so you're... You're, you're James Judas, the son of James. Everybody got that? All right. Now, we have this next one that's called the women. Right? The women. You want to be the women? All right, you come be the women. Cecil's the women. Now, the women could have included the wives of the apostles. Say the apostles had wives? Yeah. Peter had a wife. How do we know? They went to, they went to uh, the, the, the in-laws' house. So, it had, you, had, you know, if you're going to have in-laws, at least you get to have the blessing of being married. So, so <laughs> she's going to represent all these women. We know that it's probably people also that followed Jesus from Galilee and um, many, many women with him. Then we have Mary, the mother of Jesus. All right? You're going to be married today. All right, so Mary, the mother of Jesus. Then we have, interestingly, we have the four half-brothers of Jesus. Why do we say half-brothers? Because Jesus was virgin-born. So he has four, the four brothers, four children of Joseph and Mary. All right, now... We have James, the half-brother, and James is the one who was the leader of what? Does anybody know? Jerusalem church. Right. He was, he was the leader of the Jerusalem church. And he wrote the book. And he wrote the book. All right. You already got all this. Uh, <laughs> what's interesting about the brothers of Jesus, the half-brothers of Jesus? They weren't believers. They weren't believers. John chapter 7, verse 5, they weren't believers uh, until after around the time of the crucifixion after the resurrection. They weren't believers. And yet James, Scott, you look like James, you know, so you become James. He wrote James. He wrote the book of James. Another brother is Jude, Judas. 
Who wants to be Jew? Oh, there you go. Nice to see you back. Thank you. We almost were going to call you Judas, but you came back. No, I, I'm just seeing Joe Tom. We, we miss Joe Tom, but he got had to play for somebody last Sunday, so the keyboard. So he was, uh, matter of fact, remember Gerald, my friend, who came and spoke for us? He calls him last Sunday and says, hey, I want you to come play for me this Sunday. Yeah, he's not my friend anymore. Um, then two other brothers, Don and Robert, you're the two other brothers. Joseph, Joseph, you look like a Simon, and you look like a Joseph. I thought it'd be Simon All right. Garfunkel. Now, all right, here they are. This is who's there. Now, this is amazing. I want to remind you of one verse of Scripture. John, would you put that verse of Scripture up on the both the screen, 1 Corinthians 1.27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. There's, there's not any royalty up here, is there? There's not any, what do we have? We have tax collectors. We have fishermen. We have the wife of a carpenter. And I want to remind us this morning that the Christian church that revolutionized and has transformed the world was started based on this principle, that God chose the foolish things and that God chooses us to do his work. Amen? <laughs> chooses us. Thank you, group. Have a Look at verse 14. It says, They all join together constantly, which is the word for persevere or to continue steadfastly in prayer, along with the, uh, the women. This, char this is characteristic is what marked uh, their life together during this period. They remained in one, some of you will have in one accord in your Bible. They remained together in prayer. The, the time before Pentecost was spent in waiting and in prayer. I read this this week by a great author and a, a great preacher of the past, Harry Ironside. He said, when God is going to do some great thing, he moves the heart of people to pray. He stirs them to pray in view of that which he is about to do so that they may be prepared for it. Now, I've always thought we, we go to prayer asking for God to intercede because of something that has taken place. Asking for things we need or others need. And the Bible teaches we should do that. But I've been moved this week, and matter of fact, it started the 1st of December about this issue of praying in view of that which he is about to do. I, the Lord's been dealing with, uh, with me about this as I thought about our life group and where we go this year. I know there's nothing special about going into 2019 versus being in 2018, but there is a time for, I, I think, for us to think and pray and ask God's leadership and what we're doing. 
And I, I felt so strongly, and I actually rebelled against him speaking to me. I feel better after I heard the pastor confess all his sins this morning. I, I, felt, I felt a lot more comfortable confessing mine. I don't want to confess any ones that I don't want you to know. But um, one of mine is, is I, I confess that I, I did not want to make this, um, I guess, announcement. And I really fought against it. But I feel like the Lord is wanting us to make as a primary interest of our class this year. It's around prayer. Now, I think we all we spend a lot of time in prayer. Tammy leads our ministry in prayer. We pray every week. We put out prayer lists. But I think, and, and it was solidified the other night when I was talking with one of our men. You know, he looked at me and he said, Charlie, I think God is about to do something great. Do some, he's going to do something really great in our, in our midst. I don't know what that is. It may be the opposite of what I think it might be. I don't know. And as I thought about that, I said, okay, Lord, I get the message. I, I believe that too. And I think we ought to pray in anticipation of that. I'll say more about it in just a moment. So now we have, uh, we have 11 of the 12 original apostles here, right? And let me... Can anybody tell me why was it necessary to take the next step and have 12? Why was it necessary to have, why can't we just go on with 11? The Peter stood up and said, if you, if you read verse 15, In those days Peter stood up and he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. So, What's the deal? Why do we have to have 12? Anybody know? Do we have to have 12? God's perfect number for government. God's perfect number for, for government is 12. There's many typologies in Scripture, numerology, typology of, and the number 12 is an interesting number. So David prophesied that there would be a replacement. Okay, David prophesied there would be a replacement. We'll come to that in just a second. Twelve tribes of Israel. But then it changed when Levi didn't get any land but got the sanctuary city. So Levi was out and Joseph had two sons in. Then when you read in Revelation, Dan and Ephraim, the second son of Joseph, they're out. And Levi and Joseph are back in. Yeah, what a mess. How do we make sense of this? Well, Take it back. They're, the, they're the, the ones that were out or that had the golden calf in their... Right. I, I, yeah, I understand. I, I think it's, it's interesting that there's always 12. Now there's 11. Right now there's 11. Peter stands up and he says, look, there's 11. Let me read a verse of scripture to you. If you, you turn to Matthew 19, 28. What did Jesus say to these guys? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne... You, have you who have followed me will also sit on what? Twelve thrones, judging what? The twelve tribes of Israel. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from Peter's perspective. He stands up 
He says there's 11 of us, and God teaches him something. You know, this is what's so amazing about the Bible. <laughs> Can you imagine Peter standing? Now, Peter's a fisherman. Now, he knows, he knows the Old Testament, and he knows he's been taught it all his life. He's a fisherman. He's not, he's not, a, he's not a rabbi. He's a fisherman. And he stands up and he says, listen, there's, we, we've got to do what the scriptures say, what have been prophesied. And he picks out that's really in, given in, uh, in type in Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. He gives two quotes. Let's read it. Verse 20. For, said Peter, this sort of a parenthetical deal that he's talking about. He, he just talked about Judas hanging himself and falling into this field and blood going everywhere. It's gross. Then verse 20 said, For it is written in the book of Psalms, and then he's quoting Psalm 69, 25, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And Psalm 109, verse 8, May another take his place of leadership. Wow. You read those Psalms, and those are Psalms, David's Psalms, where he's talking about we know they're messianic psalms. They talk about the coming of the Messiah, but they had local application for David and his enemies and being protected from his enemies. And Peter now is saying, this was prophesied. The Bible's an amazing book. And God gave Peter the knowledge of these prophecies that were had local application, but had future applications to the very event that he was facing right then. So, well, this was, this, I guess this is a bigger deal than just, you know, picking a new deacon. Yeah, it was a bigger deal, <laughs> picking a new deacon. So, if, if you go on down, there's two sections here. We won't read all of it, but if you read verse, verse 21, he said, Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias, or Matthias is the way it's really pronounced. It comes from the same word, about from the, the same name that the, that the people named their sons Matthias or Matthias, Matthias because of the, uh, the hero from the intertestamentary period when the revolution took place uh, of the Maccabees. And that's another long story, but that's who this guy is. That's what he's named after, at least. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Good thing to remember. A whole separate lesson. Show us which of the two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Okay? Now, let me just say a couple of things about this, and I'll go on. He gave, he, he said, all right, here's the requirements. Here's the requirements. All those people that are around, there's 120 people around. We, we just read quickly, we didn't read that verse. We went quickly over that. But there was 120 people around. A lot of people say, well, there's meaning to that 120. Could be. That was the number that you had to have in Jewish tradition to be considered a Sanhedrin, a ruling group. Well, I don't know. So there's 120 people around. He said, okay, we've got to pick this next guy. How do we do that? They come down to two people. 
and what are the qualifications? They must be a follower of Jesus from the beginning. They must have personally interacted with the resurrected Lord. They had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. Those are the two things. Is that important? Why is that important? Why is that important? Why did these guys that are chosen, this person is chosen to take the place of Judas Iscariot, who was a traitor, why did they have to uh, be an eyewitness of the resurrection, be a follower of Jesus from the beginning, know what he taught? Why, why is that important? They're going to be a witness along with the 11. Yeah, they don't have this. Right? They, they, had, they had this. They didn't have this. They, had the, they, had, they didn't have the New Testament. And so we had to have an apostle. And, and there's the apostolic succession theory goes out with this passage of Scripture. There is no such thing as apostolic succession. And the churches and so on and religions and many, many, many say, well, the, the apostolic su succession falls to this person. This is it. Done. For these 12. Now, we're not gonna, we don't have time to talk about apostles and so on. So he said, well, what about the apostle Paul? Was he the 13th apostle? He was an apostle. We know he was an apostle. Apostle means messenger. He was a special messenger. When Paul was there, was there, was there, uh, is he one of the 12? I don't think so. Here's the 12 right here. I'm just going by what scripture says. Well, what about, uh, was there any other apostles? Well, yeah, in Acts chapter 14, it says Barnabas was an apostle. So they were messengers. All of this, was, do, we need the, do we need an apostle today? Oh, good question. The apostles were witnesses of Jesus and his resurrection. And then others were added, Paul, Barnabas, maybe others, for one specific reason. That's to reveal the will of God prior to the scripture being written, the remaining part, part of the scripture. Do we need apostles today? No, we've got it. Here it is. Done. Finished. As they say in the Middle East, halas, it's done. Let's apply this. They, they cast lots. I, I got to talk about this for a second. They cast lots. That was the Old Testament method. What did they do? They took a jar. They took these stones. They marked the stones. They put them in there, shook them up, roll them out. The one that comes up was, that's how they chose. It's like, I hate to say it, and, and I know my mother be listening to this on tape, and I'm sorry, Mom, but they were, it was rolling dice. They depended on God to lead them. Now, let me ask you a question. How many times did the church do, go through this process again of casting lots after we read about it here? How many times? Zero. They didn't need to anymore. Why? Because they had the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures to guide them. The next time they do selections, what is it? They prayed, the Lord led them, and they were able to select deacons and so on and so on. So... Let's apply this real quickly because i got one thing I want, you to, I want to share before you leave. God isn't looking for perfect performers but dependent followers. Well, I can't do this ministry because I'm, you know, I'm just not perfect. Was anybody standing up here this morning perfect? And yet God used them to change the world. Number two, God's plan for success was simple. Go to Jerusalem and wait. That's all he told them. Go to Jerusalem and wait. 
Listen, folks, he may just, he may, you're, you're wanting something, you need something, you're praying. He may say, go to Jerusalem and wait. Then the indwelling Holy Spirit guides our decisions, teaching us, comfort us when we yield to his control. The indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, we start next Sunday. We don't start with the indwelling Holy Spirit next Sunday, but we start teaching about the indwelling Holy Spirit because that's when it starts in Acts chapter 2. Great challenges, great victories in our Christian life are preceded and sustained by God's people constantly united in prayer. Here's the prayer challenge, and then I'm done. See this thing that, I hand, that Ron handed out for us today? This continues in Acts in the beginning of the church. Guidance in making decisions. Prayer had a significant role in the story of the church, what we read today. Courage to witness, part of their daily ministry. Stephen prayed as he was being stoned. Peter and John prayed for the Samaritans. Saul of Tarsus prayed after his conversion. Peter prayed before he, was, he raised Dorcas from the dead. Cornelius prayed God would show him how to be saved. Peter was praying when God told him how to be the answer to Cornelius' prayers. Believers in John Mark's house prayed for Peter when he was in prison. Church at Antioch fasted and prayed before sending out Barnabas and Paul. It was at prayer meeting in Philippi that God opened Lydia's heart. A prayer meeting in Philippi opened the prison doors. Paul prayed for his friends before leaving them. Paul prayed for God's blessing in the midst of the storm. After a storm, Paul prayed that God would heal a sick man. Prayer was the foundation of this church, of our church, of the beginning of of the Lord's church. This is my body. This is my church. And it is built on prayer. This year, I'm going to introduce to our class some additional prayer activities that I, I want us to learn about prayer. I want us to pray. What do the disciples say? The Lord teaches to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray, did they? They just said, teach us to pray. And you know, we just need to pray. But we need to pray with biblical sense. And God has so burdened my heart about it, I feel like I know so little about prayer. We do it so much, and yet how much do we connect with our Lord who wants us to pray? So here's what I want us to think about and pray about. I want us to have periodic, throughout the year, periodic day of prayer or time of prayer and fasting. I've, since we started the class three years ago, I don't think we've ever talked about fasting. Is biblical fasting for today. I, I want to teach something about that. And I want us for certain things, certain events that God puts on our heart, I want us to have times of prayer and fasting. And for some of you, are already scared, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Just wait. Just wait, okay, before you decide. I want us to have, in addition to what Tammy leads us in on Sunday, I want us to have regular scheduled times of prayer. And maybe it's women praying together. Maybe it's men praying together. Maybe it's a class. I don't know. Maybe it's, I, I'm not, I don't know yet. I just feel that that's something that we ought to focus on during this coming year. Ongoing guidance on biblical prayer. And I make a commitment to do that 
most likely through um, email. And I want to begin sharing things about prayer, biblical helps on prayer. And I want to have open forums on prayer. I don't know what that looks like e either. But it's something that as I was praying and thinking about this, I believe the Lord wants us to, to learn more about prayer and to learn what God is doing in each other's life through prayer. And to share that rather than just saying, here's my praises, and, and which is great. We're going to continue to do that. But I want us to spend 2019, I want us to learn to pray. Teach us to pray is going to be our motto for 2019. Teach us to pray. Amen? How many of you would say, I'll pray with you about that? Okay. Good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good day, this good lesson. I, I, I confess that I wondered where is the where's the application and how silly when you so clearly show us so many things from this passage the just the joy that you chose us the weak things to do things for you it's just amazing teach us to pray we pray in your name. Amen.